Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. Randy and I are going to preach because he's ready. Man, we have some we have some Presbyterian visitors this week, I think, because they just kind of stoically sat there. But your Bibles were open, so that's good. That's good. If you need a Bible, would you put a hand up? We've got volunteers who are going to bring you a copy of God's Word. If you don't own a Bible, it's yours. Take it home. It's our gift to you. We're going to be in Luke chapter 24. That's page 879 in the hardback that we're passing out. 879. Everybody else? Digital. Type in Luke 24. Paper. Table of contents. You'll find Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third book of the New Testament. Page 875. Oh, 875? No, I thought, it, yeah, I looked it up. All right. While you are turning to Luke 24, allow me to remind the regulars of our giving time. A number of online ways to give. We thank you for your generous support that allows us to function. Um, as I don't say often enough, I just think that you know, we're all sinners, we all make mistakes, so sometimes you can plan your mistakes. So maybe just reach quietly for your neighbor's wallet and give like you've always wanted to give. Uh, today we are starting a brand new sermon series called The Spirit in Me. Uh, if you've been with us the last six weeks, you know we just did Christ in you. What does it look like when the Christian's life is invaded by Jesus? Now, you, you don't have to be a Christian to agree with this one. If somebody says, hey, I became a Christian, but then nothing changes, did they, like, are you worth a darn? Hey, you're not any nicer to me, you're not any more patient, you're not any more kind, you're not sacrificial toward your spouse. This is not worth a darn. What was this supposed big transformation that happened in your life? And so we spent six weeks going, okay, what does it look like? When Jesus invades my workplace relationships, when Jesus invades my marriage, when he invades my thought life. And I've got bad news for you. If you were exhausted by six weeks of Jesus coming into the house of your life and tinkering with your stuff, wrecking shop on the areas of your life where you didn't want him messing, I've got really bad news for you. We're going to see today at the end of Luke and then at the beginning of Acts that Jesus leaves earth and him leaving earth to sit at the right hand of the Father interceding for his church, it does not mean he's leaving you alone. It does not mean that you and I get to take our foot off the brakes if we love Jesus in trying to be more and more like Christ in loving those around us. No, in fact, it gets worse. He says, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. So God now from Pentecost forward is inside you. If you thought you were having a hard time hiding from Jesus... Just wait till the Holy Spirit comes. He's not outside you. He is inside you, changing your passions. Wait, that's so important to me now. It wasn't important a week ago. What happened? I did not give God permission to change my heart, but he did it. It's going to get worse. Just watch the book of Acts. He's going to make you like Jesus if it's the last thing he does. And, and I, I don't ever grow tired of telling you guys, Holy Spirit of the living God, does God know anything personally, experientially, about defeat? 
No. He can watch Satan and he can watch us. And he knows what defeat, he can watch the antelope on National Geographic Channel. He knows what defeat is by watching others lose. That was comic gold, folks. You've got to throw me a bone. God, who gets what he wants, who is sovereign, has never lost. If the cross wasn't losing, if that was victory, then that really proves the point. Okay? He is invading his church, making us like him, so that we will love people, not based on their behavior, but based on the love we have received from him. That makes sense? All right. So, today we're starting into the book of Acts, and we're going to see all that the Holy Spirit is doing in and through his church to push light and love out into a dark and hateful world. Read with me. We're going to do the entire chapter uh, 24 to see the firsthand account of the resurrection and then what flows out of that. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. If you're new to church, that stone takes about eight to ten men to move. It's not small. Okay. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking around, looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember that he told you what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this, so they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. Time out. It's first century, and you're looking to get wealthy and famous and a book deal and for the ladies to really like you. So you're going to make up a religion, right? Are you all with me so far? No. You're going to make up a religion from scratch. Your teacher died, and you're going to, oh, I know, let's say that he rose from the dead. Let's say that he rose from the dead. We'll start a new religion. It'll be amazing, okay? When you write the text that you're going to then declare are holy, when you're making this all up, do you pin yourself in as an unbelieving imbecile? I want to encourage you, if you've never read the Bible before, pick one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, read through it and go, how many times are the disciples total nincompoops? A lot. They do not believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They wrote this because they came to believe it later. If you're going to make up a religion, they've done a terrible job because they look like fools. And they all died martyrs' deaths. They did terrible Verse 12, however, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. The same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, 
you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here the last few days. Is that rich with irony? Any, anybody here, you've had really horrible things happen in your life and you've said, God, you must not know what's going on. My hand's up. God, have you not know? God, pay, wake up. Pay attention, God. Get with the program. I have a crisis. God, you must be the only person in the universe that doesn't know what's going on in my life right now. Verse 19. What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. You hear that? Had hoped. The, the death precludes my image of, of how God is going to save the world. Like, well, we, we were hoping it was him, but it clearly can't be because they killed him. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who had told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, Whew, are you glad you came to church today? Oh, so you went to that church over Crossford Street from Leatherby's? Yeah, yeah, we went over there and they fed us breakfast. And then Jesus told me I was a fool. And then we, then we looked for eggs in the yard. <laughs> then we <heard> music. <laughs> Foolish isn't always an insult. It's a statement of a lack of wisdom. Does that make sense? Hey, you're not having understanding. Facts and understanding are two different things. You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets. This is a Hebrew thought trans written down in Greek, translated in English, so this is a mess. Let me translate this. The entire Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi, every written scripture they had at that point, he walks them through it, and he's about to say, it's all pointing to me. Is that arrogant if it's not true? That's why they didn't like it. Verse 28. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how, uh, and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. 
Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that the message, this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And here's the message. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. Hallelujah. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Then Jesus led them to Bethany, and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they worshipped him and then returned to Jerusalem, filled with great joy. And they spent all of their time in the temple, praising God. Lord Jesus, teach us the scriptures by your Holy Spirit. Give us wisdom and understanding. Help us to believe. In the great name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Some of you guys are just not going to believe that the gospel is true until you see a miracle yourself. So I'm about to preach this sermon in 15 minutes. Okay. Talk with your friend. I'm only giving you 60 seconds because I've already read the whole chapter and gone long. What types of events happen in our lives that change everything? Good, bad, or neutral? What are the type of events that are a demarking point in your life where you go, Every, is before this and after this. What are the big ones? So inter, introduce, introduce yourself to a new friend or two next to you and chat about this. 60 seconds. All right, note takers, go ahead and grab your pens. We're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and let's see if it behaves similarly to some of the big events in your life, the before and the after. Grab your pen. The resurrection offers deliverance from sin by proving Jesus' claims. 
The resurrection offers deliverance from sin by proving Jesus' claims. This has already been said through song, and I think I hit on it a little bit. Good Friday and Easter cannot be separated from each other, right? He did not successfully wash away our sins on Friday unless he's raised from the grave on Sunday. Because if he's not raised from the grave on Sunday, he lied. God does not lie, right? He does not fulfill all that the Psalms told us about him unless he raises from the dead. If he raises from the dead, then the forgiveness was genuine. Listen to what Paul said. He was handed over to die because of our sins. He was raised to life to make us right with God. The fancy theological words uh, for, for made right with God is justification, meaning your ledger, when God holds you up and measures you, you have a balanced ledger somehow. How on earth do we do that when we do a thousand things wrong every day? Well, Jesus died and was raised to life so that there's no claim of guilt against us. How exciting. So, John Capes and the HMS Perseus. So, the HMS Perseus during World War II, a British submarine going through the Mediterranean, hits a mine. And if you've studied World War II history, this is pretty much a death sentence. There is almost nothing you can do uh, when the hull of your submarine explodes. And there were, uh, I want to say, around uh, 69, 70 men on board. John Capes and three others flooded the last section of the submarine that did not have water. And they had to flood it to have equal pressure inside and out, and they're going to go out through an escape hatch. And the four of them go through the escape hatch. John Capes reaches the surface and can't find the other three men. He never saw them. So 69, 70 men died uh, in this uh, tragedy. John Capes uh, swims to a nearby shore and collapses. Um, miraculously survives the, this Greek citizens there hid him because the Nazis had already taken over Greece and they hid him for almost three years um, sneaking what little bits of food they could possibly spare when they were very impoverished themselves by the circumstances. Here's what's crazy about John Cape. Uh, the British, uh, Her Majesty's uh, Navy, did not believe his story for over 45 years. He died in 1986 with nobody believing his story that he could have possibly gotten out of a submarine at 287 feet. That's, that's, 287 feet is, is horrendous, but if you know anything about diving, if you get up fast enough to get oxygen, your, your body, you're not going to survive the, the journey. So, but he had seen the reading, and the reading said that they were 287 feet down, and, and that was his testimony till the day he died. This is a picture of the Perseus. It was found, I believe, in the late 90s. And they go inside, and they find uh, a little broken instrument, broken because it said, oh, we're 287 feet down, when in fact they were only 187 feet down. In the short term, his testimony was not believed. His testimony was, we were 287 feet down. It was all because of a broken instrument that he went to his death. You know, he served his country, and his country didn't believe him. Sadly, it's just a broken instrument. Even to get out of there at 187 feet, it's a miracle he survived. Guys, 
The resurrection is kind of like finding out, oh, I had a misunderstanding. Jesus was telling me the truth all along. God had been saying for a long time before the resurrection that Jesus would suffer and die to save us from the condemnation that sin brings. So my encouragement to you, trust Jesus to wash away your sin. The resurrection proves that the cross has power. Quit trying to do enough good stuff so that you can make yourself right with God. That's nonsense. That is how the religions of the world work. We're going to do stuff and do stuff and do stuff until God finally likes us. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I already like you. I already love you. I'm going to prove it by dying for you while you're still in a state of rebellion against God. Anybody here doing some nasty stuff? The first time you found out that Jesus loves you, you're like, man, I'm doing all kinds of stuff. And he already died for me. He's already loved me. Note takers, number two, the resurrection pushes Christians toward their God-given mission. If you're a Christian and the resurrection is true, you got work to do. I got work to do. Look with me again at verse 44. Then he said, Jesus, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. This is Luke's version of the Great Commission. Hey, I did not just rise from dead for my own sake, and then go take a vacation in the Bahamas. I came back to my people, reminded you of the goodness of God, and that you have a job now. If you love Jesus Christ, how on earth could you possibly not proclaim the love of God to people around you? That's crazy. Yeah, but Greg, we're in a culture where everybody hates it when you talk about politics and religion. Yeah, do you think all the other cultures of the world are radically different? This is so American. God says to do something and we go, but it's hard. <laughs> what would have happened if Michael Jordan at age 14 goes, but it's hard? We wouldn't know his name, would we? So, millennials, I'm going to do you a solid because you understand this. My button's not working. Is it, can you guys push it forward? Thank you. What's going on in The Lion King through the middle of the story? I'm going to break it down for you real fast. I only got six minutes left, bro. Renault. Hit him. Smack him. In the middle part of the story, Simba is fooling around, living for the moment, laughing off his problems. Why? Really for one root reason. He doesn't realize his place. He believes that his father is dead. When Rafiki lets him know your father is alive, he is in you, he can still speak to you, and he'll remind you of who you are. 
all of a sudden, Simba gets off his derriere and takes responsibility and goes and saves the rest of the lions, and really all of Pride Rock. I'm so glad Jesus never forgot who he was. But you and I, oh man, we do it all the time. You see, a Christian who's off mission, a Christian who hasn't loved you enough to tell you who Jesus is, we're doing stupid stuff. We're spending a lot of time on Netflix and on Facebook and whatever, like overdoing it with our hobby. We're acting like our king is still dead. Like, your, your problem with the church isn't so much the claims of the church, although those are offensive enough. Your problem with the church is that your Christian friend acts like you, talks like you, thinks like you. Your Christian friend's not particularly different, and you're kind of going, yeah, I don't know if I buy that. When Simba finds out his father is alive, everything changes. Brothers and sisters, he's alive. That is not just an excuse to put on a nice shirt once a year. The resurrection of Jesus Christ transforms a Christian's behavior. We've now been sent to, as beggars who received bread to run to anybody else who's starving and hand them bread as well. So if you love Jesus, share the resurrection story. Goodness gracious. Allow me to use an example to get super practical. I know everybody who is in church thinks they've got to have this five-point outline memorized. You don't. The gospel is all around you. So I was taking a college class in 2009 when Obamacare was brand new legislation. So whether you were for it or against it, everybody was talking about health care. And a buddy of mine from class were walking out to the parking lot to our cars and somehow get talking about health care. And I say, you know, because he asked me my perspective. And I said, hey, I'm, I'm not preaching at you, but have you ever read the first two chapters of the Bible? And he said, no. I said, what's crazy about the first two chapters of the Bible is that we didn't need health care. It's, it's like the Bible is saying that there is a God and that he's benevolent and he's good, so much so that there was no sickness and there was no death at the start of the story. And, and, and it, didn't, it didn't go sideways until chapter three when human beings rebelled against God. All of a sudden there was a need for health care because we die. We divorce the life giver and are shocked when we die. But fortunately he didn't leave us there. He told us that he was going to roll back pain and suffering and our sins against each other, our sins against him. He was going to forgive all of it. And that's what the Jesus story is actually about, I told him. Guys, the gospel's everywhere. I got to share the gospel that day because of what was going on in the evening news. The gospel is everywhere. We need to learn the story and know it so well that like a banker who's taught to feel with their, their fingers what a real bill is like and they can spot a fake, we should be able to smell the gospel a mile away. What, what did I, just, I helped you to smell the gospel in The Lion King, right? It's there. Third, the ascension demands spirit-filled living. I'm going to go really fast at this point because we're about to preach this for weeks on end. It demands it, Okay. Jesus, here at the end of this text, said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. 
He ascended, he commissioned us, and he says, oh, by the way, if you try to make disciples of all nations apart from my spirit, it's not going to go well. And this has huge implications on the church today where we try to, I don't know, live one day of life apart from the Holy Spirit, it doesn't go well. Try to plan ministries without the leadership of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't go well. So I want to remind you yet again of Cortez burning the boats. When his soldiers were in the Yucatan Peninsula and the boats were on fire, they only had one option, that was to move forward. Christians, I want you to know that when Jesus ascended into heaven, we couldn't lean on him anymore, couldn't walk up to him anymore, couldn't ask him, hey, Jesus, what do we do now? He said, you are going to rely on my Holy Spirit from here on out, and he will be inside you. We're going to be unpacking this for weeks. It's a big deal. Um, So... Christian, don't plan your day without asking for the Holy Spirit's leadership. Do not do it. Nobody wants to see what you've got planned. It does not go well. Anybody here lived a day of their life that they planned themselves? Yeah, yeah, we've all done it. We've all done it. So I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to share a couple of things going on in the life of the church. Lord Jesus, we ask by your Holy Spirit that you would allow this beautiful text to sink in deeply to our hearts and minds. God, help us to see the resurrected Christ and to respond with worship and adoration and gratitude. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. God's people said, amen. So, three things. Go ahead and tattoo these on your forearm. This Saturday, we're going to work. It's going to be good. It's going to be good for your soul right? You're not really following Jesus until you're serving, right? Doing the hard stuff. So if you are dead, I'm going to let you off the hook. Dead people don't need to show up. Um, If you're in the hospital Saturday morning, don't need to show up. Um, Here's what we're going to be working on. Our primary focus will be the playground. We want to bless our uh, kids. And so a couple of guys with wrenches. We're going to tighten up a couple of things, but we're also going to be pulling weeds. We're going to do a little bit of cleaning in rooms one through three. So I encourage you to be here. Um, my only promise is sweat and donuts. There shall be sweat. There shall be donuts. So I'd love to see you there. Um, women's Spring Convention sign-ups in the foyer. Ladies, if you'd like to go. And then disciple groups. The way that we help people follow Jesus are in 12-week-long groups that are starting at the beginning of May. Um, And we're going to have those on the back table starting next week, just so that you know, in case you're new to groups. There are three questions that drive the purpose of a disciple group. How is your week? That's the first 40 minutes while we're having dinner together. How's your relationship with God? That's the 40 minutes with the scriptures open. I'm not just hearing what you think about God. I'm hearing whether or not you trust him. Does that make sense? How can I equip and encourage you? How can we equip and encourage you? That's the last 40 minutes when I'm asking about what's going on in life and how I pray for you and encourage you and build you up. So I need you to know, disciple groups are about pushing you, pulling you, encouraging you, building you up. If you're the same at the end of it, we failed. Amen? Amen. (sighs) Go get your kids from the Pringle Building. Easter egg hunts are gonna start in like 12 minutes. Love you guys. Have a great week.